Welcome back to part two of the four-part interview series of 80 Lessons Learned on the Road from 80,000 to 80 Million with Mr. Thomas Beyer. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? So first of all, you're probably, if you are just downloaded this podcast on the day that it was released, it's not Tuesday in the normal podcast day, it's Friday. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. Looking forward to maybe a really fun weekend upcoming. So guys, some fantastic uh, reviews that have been left, some fantastic comments, some fantastic feedback from episode number one of the interview with Thomas Beyer. Now, one of the things I I alluded to in the very beginning of the first episode was that we filmed this episode on location in Thomas's place on the UBC endowment lands. And uh, you know what? It's I'm just remembering back. We filmed that one a couple summers ago now before all this COVID-19 and pandemic and all that kind of stuff. And it was beautiful. And I, I believe Thomas doesn't own that place anymore. I think he sold that and he moved over to the Sunshine Coast. So uh, it's nice to see the video of that and just reminisce about the wonderful location that we filmed that one on. That's one of the things I really like doing. It's one of the things I actually miss by doing some of these interviews is what I call them lifestyle interviews, where you're sitting there on the person's home or they're on their farm or on their boat or some place that's really important to them. So for example, in this case, Thomas shared a wonderful story at the beginning of the first episode that essentially by selling some properties into a boom, he was able to afford to buy a lifestyle property, which then has gone up in value, which then he bought another lifestyle property. And it just shows the power of real estate. Okay, gang, so you're going to get as much out of this next episode as you did out of the first one. But remember, I just wanted to remind each and every one of you is of the contest, the comment contest. Now, I'm going to record this. I'm recording it before we ever launch. So this could very well be uh, completely sold um, and done. All the books could be given away. I can't guarantee that there is a book available. But I had 17 books available at the beginning, and I'm going to run this for one month. And you know what? Maybe even if it goes longer than a month, or if I get more than 17 entries, I'll probably just go buy a few more books because I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to win this. So, so remember, there's a comment contest. So what you have to do is a review. If you leave a review on the podcast, so if you go to Apple Podcasts, you find my podcast, you leave a review on it, you screenshot that review, you then email it to myself, hello at russellwestcott.com. In that email, if you include your shipping address, all your location, I'll let you know if you're one of the lucky first 17, or maybe you are outside of the first 17, and I'll still get you a book. Okay, so just let me know your address, let me know where I can send it to you, and I will send that book to you free of charge. Maybe it'll come direct from Amazon, maybe we'll have to call Thomas like I did the last time, and I bought a whole, I bought essentially bought a case of his books, because I gave it away to some people on some presentations. So it's an amazing book. It's 80 Lessons Learned on the Road from 80,000 to 80 Million. And this is Mr. Thomas Beyer, Part 2. Okay, gang, let's just get right after it. Please welcome Part 2 of this exclusive interview with Thomas Beyer. All right, everybody, welcome back. Russell Westcott here with my good friend Thomas Beyer. 80 Lessons Learned, Thomas. So 
so 80 lessons was like one week worth of lessons. It's like 80 lessons every year almost, right? It's just as a catchy title because yeah. it, because at the time I wrote the book, which was maybe, I don't know, seven years ago or something, we were at about 80 million in assets. And in fact, the, the first condo I bought, as I mentioned, was $80,000, yeah. right? So that's the, okay, it's the road from 80,000 to 80 million. And then 80 lessons, I mean... We need to have the eighth anniversary edition huh? perhaps, next perhaps, year. You know. In our first statement, we had a conversation. Thomas told a lot about how we got started. And we're now in the part of the process where we're raising capital from other people. You said something once to me when we were on a panel that absolutely just, it just resonated to, to my core. And it's a conversation that a lot of people will, are asking themselves right now is I'm asking somebody for money. It almost feels like, you know, not that I'm begging for money or things like that. A lot of people have that fear of that money conversation with somebody or that we're asking them for money. And you said something very succinctly. You said, I never ask for anything from anybody. I actually offer an opportunity for someone to participate in something I'm doing. Exactly. And when I heard that, it just, and I just said, yeah, that's actually really what it is. Maybe if you could, you know, build upon that. And how did you come to that realization? Was it, was it uh, some deep inner work or was it just by doing it lots? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, people who have money, and as people, as you know, with substantial wealth, millions of dollars sometimes, they need to always look for how to invest their money, right? And many give it to the financial advisor, and then they invest it usually in stocks and bonds, and they get a certain certain return. But some people are not so happy with the returns, and they take a big fee, and they want to do a bit more direct investing. So they're usually looking for what is out there, and they go to Michael Campbell's money talks, and then there's conferences in Toronto and in the US. And so people are always looking, where can I place my money? And so if you come across... As a guy who has an opportunity, because you may be a townhouse specialist in, in Edmonton, and you buy these townhouses for 220 a door, and you need 70, 80,000 cash down and a mortgage, and then you know they're going to be worth eventually 250, 280 after a few years. That's a story worth telling, mm-hmm. right? And you might even decide, look, I invest some of my own money. I need 80,000 bucks cash. Maybe I put in 20 grand myself, but I need 60. And you just tell that to people and tell them what you're doing. It's more like a natural conversation. And some guys would say, you know what? I don't, I could care less what you do because I'm just want to play golf. Okay, fine. And you zip it and move, play golf, yeah. right? And, but, but if the guy has an interest, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about it. Well, then you tell him more about it. Right? right. Yeah. And sometimes we make the incorrect assumption that we think that people with high net worth individuals are experts at where to invest money. And the reason why they are high net worth is because they're very, they know what they're doing. A lot of them are just looking for guidance. Well, in fact, some of the worst investors are often doctors and dentists because they are very smart usually. They have a very good education Mm -hmm. and they're expert in their field, Mm -hmm. you know, and people cater to them and say, oh, we missed a doctor, you know, and can try to convince them. But they're often very busy. They don't have the time. If you run a busy dentist, dentist practice, you're tired at the end of the evening. You, you don't want to now spend hours and hours looking for multifamily deals in Edmonton, right? right? But some do, and then they get duped and they pay, pay too much, you know, and because they're so smart or they're so good in their profession, doesn't mean they're also good in another profession. They could be that good, but it takes substantial time, right? right. I mean, it takes time to build an expertise in shopping centers in Calgary, mm-hmm. right? And somebody that's the expertise and they know everything about every shopping center in Calgary. That's what they do. Right. But they're not experts in townhouses in Edmonton because right. they focus on shopping centers in, in Calgary. 
So have you ever had the fear of having a conversation with somebody? Did you have that fear or, or how did you get past that? Or was it just something that you just you just felt confident in what you're doing? Take us back when you just were branching out into that. You, you know, you maybe only had one or two places. Did you have a little bit of fear around uh, raising capital from others? I'm generally fearless. That's yeah. probably one of my attributes. I, I do skydive. I, actually, if I, if I weren't married, I, I'd do wingsuits and, so, and motorcycles. That, like the Batman type yes. of thing? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> um there's an abbreviation for fear, which is false evidence appearing real. So the question really is, if you're fearful, like, what are you fearful of, actually? Mm-hmm. You know? And the fear is often the guy says, no, that's to be expected. So I spent three years at IBM in sales. You know, you phone someone, in this case, I was selling software, you will always get notes. Mm-hmm. So, and and it's, it's almost a ratio, you know, I do 10 sales calls, I get eight no's. Mm-hmm. It's just expected, but I get two yeses. Um, or maybe one yes and one maybe. Yeah. Then you meet the guy and the, the maybes, your job is to, to turn into a yes eventually. And many no's, in fact, are not yet. Yeah. So I've had many conversations with investors over the years who, you know, read my book or who came to, to trade shows or followed certain seminars we did or, or video conferences. And for five years, they wouldn't invest. And then they come to me five years later and say, oh, you still, can we still invest in that apartment building in Dallas? I said, no, that we raised money five years ago, but we got this another deal here. It happens to be in Vancouver Island, perhaps, right? So some people are not yet ready mm-hmm. or they need to see maybe what we've been doing. So you told them about this townhouse for 220 and yeah. they sort of sort of believe the story, but they're not quite ready. But they want to see you, they want to see you get a little more experience in what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just want to see more evidence. And then you go back to them a year later, say, look, you know, as I told you last year, we bought the house for 220 with another group or another yeah. person. Here's my new appraisal now. It's worth 235. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the guy says, ah, okay, that seems kind of slim. Okay. And then you go back a year later and say, no, it's, you know, here's the next appraisal is 245. And after three years, maybe it's not worth 250. Yeah. They will say, okay, now I want to buy one with you. Right? right. So some people just take time. It's just very normal. Some people are more, much more cautious than others. Mm-hmm. And you cannot expect that after one conversation at a golf club or the church or at some, at some bar that they pull out the checkbook is completely unrealistic. Right. So if you really think about it, you know, and one thing I love about Thomas, if you, if you do read his book, I highly recommend to read it. If you do read it, it's just, it's almost black and white. It's to the point. It's pragmatic. It's a mathematical formula almost. Mm-hmm. It's like talk to, you know, and I'm not saying it's the exact numbers, but, but your, your ratios are pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. If you talk to enough people, you will eventually get lots of maybes. You'll get not yet, but I want to keep watching exactly. and you will get some yeses. So, so what I did in the beginning, as I mentioned, I started with more money, but after about two, three years, I was telling the story. Hey, I bought this building for, mm-hmm. you know, 37 a door. I sold it for 50 a door. And, you know, I doubled my money, I turned 100 into 200. And people say, oh, interesting. Tell me more about it, yeah. right? And then you tell them more about it. And they say, okay, so interesting. If the next deal, give me a call. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, so now you write down their name and phone number and an email. And you build a, a list, basically. And that, in the beginning, was a spreadsheet, yeah. right? And, and over time, it grows. You maybe put some notes down, depending on, on how thorough you are. And you just blast an email out every three months and say, hey, we bought another building. Hey, here's what's happening in the economy. Here's what's happening with the politics or interest rates. Just keep in touch. And, and by the way, you know, we're looking for money right now for our next townhouse project. And, so, and eventually you send that email to enough people. Over time, people will come back to you and say, hey, tell me more about it. And yeah. then, then you can send them maybe a little performer and says, here's the specifics on this one building. I'm, I'm raising $200,000. You know, I, I need uh, 10 people with 20000 each or two guys with, with 100,000, whatever the story is, and you now tell that story in a, in a comprehensive manner. Yeah. I mean, I find it always amazing because, I mean, I'm, I'm a member of Rain, and I also invest money now with other people. 
And people come to me and say, hey, I got this deal here. Do you want to invest money? I said, sure, maybe. Tell me more about it. And it's atrocious what some people send you. Like they send you like a link to some... To an MLS listing. To MLS listing, <laughs> yeah. or, or they send you some, some and an email with five words in it and, and sp- spelling mistakes. They're like, come on, man. If you go buy a car for $20,000... You get a fancy brochure with 10 pages and colors. And yeah. I mean, I don't expect you to produce that glossy, but tell me, hey, like, what's your name actually? What's your phone number? What's your email address? Like, like, who are you actually? Give me a little bio about yourself, mini bio, not, not the whole life story, but like, what are you? Are you a software engineer? Are you, are you a painter? Are you stay at home uh, father? What are you? And then tell me more about this specific deal. Why do you think this deal is a good deal? Why is 220 a good deal? I don't know. I'm not the Thomas expert. Just right. tell me. And they say, yeah, look, all these other ones in the, in the area have sold for 230 and 240 and I have it on the contract for 220. And, and here's what I think the projection will be for the next five, six years. And here's why I think Edmonton is a good, good city to invest and give me a little three or four page document. And then I can at least have an interest and then I can ask questions. So why do you think it's going to be going from 220 to 250? Then we can have a, have a conversation, right? Hope you guys are paying attention. Thomas just gave you a master class of putting the a presentation together. And there's a big meme and a thing going around on the internet is, oh, perfection's the enemy of progress. You know, I, I understand that if you're stuck, you know, you want to do something, get it out. But it doesn't give you a pass for putting out crap, right? No. No. It, it doesn't give you a pass. You know, Steve Jobs, when he was going there, he would roll over if, if his, his companies put out. They did the best they could at what they had at that right. time. And then they kept slowly evolving at the time. So it doesn't give you a pass for putting out junk. Right. Yeah, and, and, and you, you put your best foot forward, right? Yes. And then you improve because once you put a performer out once and, and you, you get, get feedback, you get feedback and 15 guys ask the same question. Well, maybe I should address that in the next performer because they asked the same question. Yeah. Such as, let's say interest rate. Maybe I didn't talk about interest rates because they're very concerned. Oh, interest rates might go up. Mm-hmm. Now it's 3% might go to 8%. And oh, my mother, she paid 18% interest. And this is a common fear by some investors. And maybe you have a blurb about why you think interest rates will stay moderately low. They might go up half a percent, maybe a percent. No big deal, right? Mm-hmm. They will not go to 18%. Maybe you want to have a little blurb on that because people yeah. often get hang up on one issue. Okay. Holy moly, you said a lot there. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bookend it here a little bit. So everybody always wants to know what's the secret sauce. What's the secret? What's your secret, Thomas? Really, I, I heard it's longevity. It's starting with having a conversation with people, putting names into a spreadsheet, following up with people, and constantly having an opportunity available. And slow and and slow and one step and and every day taking another step forward. You kept building the spreadsheet. You kept building more people. You had more opportunities. Some people said yes. You built the track record, which did you just had it. You just built an upward spiral of just everything you were doing. And it it was no secret. It was just daily putting on your boots and putting on the, and putting on the overalls and getting to work. Well, I'd say boots are actually not required because as you know, usually you talk on the phone Yes, and, yeah. and only occasionally do you actually go out and actually physically meet the person, you know, sometimes, sometimes actually only once you, the hand, you have to check, right? So, so one skill certainly is telephone skills, yeah. which is one of my very weak points. I, I don't like to talk on the phone because I don't see your face. Mm. It's, it's one of my fears, we're going to call it. You know, I'd rather t- send you three emails yeah. or 15 texts than picking up the phone, actually. Okay. Um, I, I, but I know, I mean, I, I overcome this fear, and, and I know once you talk on the phone, I can build a relationship. But follow-up with them is, is one issue. I mean, I'm surprised you go to trade shows or you meet people at some conference and you talk about some stuff, and they tell you, yeah, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to send you something. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes I ask, well, okay, when can I expect that? They might say, okay, Wednesday next week or within a week. Okay, fine. And probably 50 to 80% of the time, I, you hear nothing. So I think follow up. If you tell someone, I will get back to you, get back to them. It's yeah. really that simple. And it could be as simple as, you know, I told you I'm going to get back to you in a week. Look, something came up. You know, I, I really can't. I need another month. Just a quick email or text message. People say, sure, no problem. But you get back to the person. I thought about you because I told you I'm going to get back within a week. But look, I just couldn't finish it. I was so much stuff going on. But I'll get back to you in one month. And then within one month, you get back to them and say, as, as I told you a month ago, here's what I, you know, and, and then you can do a, a conversation about that again, right? Now, so most people don't even follow up the first time. Okay. Um, where you just said very, very clearly was the majority of your investors came from follow-ups months and even years after the fact. So it's on the consistency of the follow-up and the consistency of the communication and the consistency of being in deals. Right. And of course, it helps if you're in an up market. I mean, we had now three years of a down market in Alberta. I mean, money raising was certainly a lot more difficult in Alberta, mm -hmm. and we haven't done it, certainly. Although we did end up raising about $2 million last year from about 15 investors to buy two mobile home parks because the market had just started turning last year in Alberta. And I think it's also important to be sincere. Right? Yeah. Don't flatter people. Don't give them all this BS about exaggerated numbers because the market is more muted today. Interest rates are on slightly rising, right? We, we have set, mm -hmm. seen certain cooling measures here in the mortgage market uh, the last few months. So I think real estate will not go up four, five, six, eight percent a year, as we might have seen in, in the 90s or 2000s. I think we will not see that again. So be realistic with your numbers, right? Um, what is your call right now, give or take? So it's just average, yeah. probably inflation, 2%. 2 3%. No, not even 3%. I mean, again, if you buy this 240 townhouse for 220, well, yep. there's a room right there, right? Yes. But if you buy an average house, average condo, average building, you can force, force appreciation through improvements, yes. right? But that costs you money, right? So that, let's say that 240 townhouse, if you put luxury upgrades in, maybe get 260, right? Mm -hmm. But then you, you can also over-upgrade and spend way too much money in the kitchen and the bathrooms and you spend 30,000 bucks in upgrades to get $15,000 in value lift. That doesn't make sense, right? So there's always a fine balance of when is uh, enough, good enough, right? right? So, I mean, in fact, my my next book, if I ever write it, is or might be called Forget Excellence. Good enough is good enough. Yes. Right? So people don't expect excellence and it's preached a lot, obviously, but if you look at tennis or soccer, of course, they want to play FIFA worldwide. You yeah. got to be excellent. But most people don't end up being in a FIFA World Cup. Yes. Most people are not excellent. Just acknowledge that fact. And if you're good or even just above average, for example, in property management, you have to be, even if you're just average, you're already well ahead of the crowd. Well, yeah, most, it's, most, it's uh, unbelievable how, how sloppy service is provided by many most property, property managers. managers out there right now call them accidental landlords. Right. People, some in some markets, people couldn't sell their house. So they go, well, I'll just rent it. Right. And they have no education, no, and they get a very, very rude awakening on that. Yeah, as I said, I mean, just actually getting back to the person, yeah. if you told them I'm going to get back to you by Tuesday, yeah. that's already above average, right? Yeah. So over time you built a, now you don't have to share the exact number, but what would you say number of people on your, your database of investors, give or take? At the peak, we probably had 700 investors. 700. And that was truly... Oh, no, sometimes it's... Again, the question is, what is an investor? Because we end up also raising money through RSPs. Yeah. And then maybe it's a couple, but it's, it's the husband invests. And the, the, entities. And the, the, yeah. the wife invested through her company, perhaps, and the daughter invested through the RSP. Is that now three investors or is that actually one? Because he's one person, the, the other two will leave as well, right? 
we probably had, let's say, 400 decision makers, 400 four to 500. Yeah. But Thomas, they, they, he has 20,000 in cash and he has 50,000 in RSP. Because okay. it's actually a bit easier to access RSP money because it's more patient capital, right? right? Not a lot of people have hundreds of thousand dollars cash lying around. There's people, of course, but there's not a lot. So, but here's the power. And here's, guys, here's one of the lessons to learn is, is take the time to build the list. Because I, you, you just mentioned last year you raised $2 million to 15 people. Yeah. I'm going to ask you the question, but I think I know the answer. Did you, and I'm going to say the answer, this is my guess is, did you just go to your database of investors to get that, uh, those 15 people? Yes. Yeah, they were all there. Right. You didn't have to go out. You didn't have to spend any more money. You didn't right. have to hit the pavement. You didn't have to go to any more trade shows. You didn't have to do any of that kind of stuff. You needed two million bucks, and it was built in because you took the time to build a list. Yeah, and we were culling the list a bit because sometimes people move, people get pissed off, and they say, "You know what? I'm never investing with you again because you taught me a fifteen percent return, and it wasn't only eight. It was only twelve point seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, no, but again, we, we we did end up losing some money on deals in in. 2014 to 2017, not every person now is up, is, is up, right? Because yeah. you bought in 2014, you buy leveraged. People have lost money until we, you know, hopefully you can recover that. So some people will leave you and that's just to be expected, mm-hmm. right? And people find other opportunities elsewhere and say, oh, maybe multifamily is done. I want to do office towers. I want to do in the US. I want to do land development, you know, fine. That's just normal. It's always total normal turnoff, a turnover. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in a multifamily deal, we said you have to be accredited and you have to invest at least 100,000. Right. So immediately you you know that out of let's say the email which goes to two thousand people, really maybe only hundred fifty, maybe two hundred are actually qualified for that. Right? right. And I think again it's it's really important to narrow the funnel because you cannot talk to two thousand people or even two hundred people, mm-hmm. right? But I, I can talk to twenty people in a week. I can yeah. do that. Even I can do that with my poor phone skills, right? And I mean I brought in a partner, Scotty about 10 years ago, and he just excels at, at telephone marketing mm-hmm. at, and, uh, and he, he blows through 20 people in, you know, in an hour. Again, that's, that's a skill set. Some people just are natural salesperson yep. and they can follow up. But again, I think if you send us email and you know, perhaps these 50 people are probably good candidates, just phone them and say, Hey, John, I just sent you an email yesterday. Just mm-hmm. want to know uh, if that's a good fit or not. Click. That takes you 20 seconds as a voicemail. And then John says, Thomas, I will never deal with you again. Or he says, Oh, yeah, the email. Oh, yeah, I got lost. I was busy. I was traveling. Let me look for the email. Or he said, you know, he phones back. Say, yeah, Thomas, that's a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know where John is in his current life because yeah. I don't have a good relationship with John. I met him maybe once, two years ago at some trade show, yes. right? And But if I phone this, send this email to John and maybe send a phone him up, you know, over a course of two, three years, eventually John will say, yeah, that's not a good deal. I might invest in that one, mm-hmm. right? It's, again, it's the consistency because John today might not be able to write a check yeah. but maybe in a year he is because yeah. he just bought a new car or he just bought a dental practice and it's super super leveraged but maybe in a year he's better right i don't know that no. follow-up consistency and being a phd and i i discovered i say phd as stands for pig-headed determination so yeah. <laughs> determination i mean does help I mean, you don't want to be obviously desperate yeah and as i said that's why the idea of you know co-invest with me is actually very powerful yeah especially if you put money in, 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 in a deal as well. Um, or if you tell them, look, I, I need to raise $2 million. We already raised 1.7. Mm-hmm. We have 300000 bucks short. And we have only three slots left. Some people then have this kind of FOMO fear of missing out, right? And they, they need to see other people invest first. They will never be the first one. Some people always like to be the first, get maybe get better terms. We've done that. If you invest early because it's highest risk or you write checks over a bigger amount, you get special terms. So once you raise money on a larger scale, you need uh, offering memorandums. 
uh, or certainly limited partnership agreements, which are more sophisticated documents. Yeah. But but those terms can be spelled out in those in those agreements. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the first guy who writes a check has the highest risk, right? And because he might fund even some of your marketing. So really, you really just you treat the raising of the capital like a business within the business. Absolutely. Right? You you have a salesperson. Mm. You have a marketing budget against it. You have uh, an entire follow-up campaign. You have a database. It's all those things. That's just that's a business completely outside of the acquisitions of the assets. Yes, but I mean, but again, I didn't start there, right? Yes, absolutely. Because in the beginning, you are the it's you, you are the and market. your spreadsheet. <laughs> yes, yeah, the whole eternity, you, you know, me, myself, and I. Yes. Yeah, because you phone, you send the emails, you produce the performer, you yep. have the marketing campaign, yep. you, you know, you. But over time, you can delegate some of that. Maybe yes. maybe the performer, you have some numbers, but you give it to some graphic designer and he, for a thousand bucks, he makes it pretty, mm-hmm. right? But there's enough tools out there now in, in Microsoft Word and, and all sorts of tools where you can beautify things at very low cost, right? Yes. Well, you said some... I, I'm gonna, we're going to just reset the cameras here one more time. Honestly, we're just getting started. And uh, you said something... I want to run down the thread of... And we've talked a little bit about, I've exhausted family and friends. I've Mm. exhausted that inner circle and the referral inner circle. I want us now to start taking the big leap into the scary world, the public raisings of funds. And, you know, guys, it is what it is. Don't shoot the messengers. We're just going to tell you the story. Some people... Some people will say, well, tell me what I need to do. And then we sit there and we'll, we'll tell you what you do. And they go, well, I don't like that answer. I go, well, it, it is what it is. Right. right. So, exactly. so, and we're going to dive headfirst into that conversation uh, very shortly. So here with Thomas Beyer, everyone. Sure hope you enjoyed part two of this four-part interview. Now remember, today is Friday. This is not the normal Tuesday. On Tuesday will be coming the next interview of this in this series. It'll be part three. And then a week from today, this was came out on a Friday, will be part four, the conclusion to this four-part interview series. So what did you take from this one? What was some of the most important executable ideas that you took from this one? Did you take from this some of the just simplistic things, some of the simple things that you can do that can make a huge difference? Sometimes it's the small things that make the biggest difference. As the, What's the old saying is sometimes it's, it's the small hinges can swing giant doors. So if you actually have just some small implementable steps that you are going to execute against uh, that you learn from this podcast, they can make huge differences in your business moving forward. Okay, gang, once again, I want to just remind you quickly of the comment contest. So if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, the Apple Podcast player, if you jump onto my podcast, the Russell Westcott podcast, if you leave a review on there, and then all you have to do is take a screenshot of the review Email it to myself at hello at russellwestcott.com. I have 17 books that I'm going to give away of Thomas's book, 80 Lessons Learned on the Road from 80,000 to 80 Million. So if you're one of the first 17, congratulations. And you know what? I'm going to let this run for about a month. And you know what? If there's more than 17 reviews come in, I may have to just go out and buy a few more books. So I hope I have to go buy a few more books is what I'm putting out there. So guys, take the action, move forward, leave a review, leave some comment, leave some feedback, and then you will be rewarded with a book. Okay, gang, you know, we end off each and every one of these podcast episodes. Remember, in every encounter you have with another person, always 
always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.